dismiss our kids to kids' church. <clears throat> and as they are being dismissed, I want to remind you that next Sunday they will be singing. Many of you were here a little early and got to watch them rehearse. And uh, we are looking forward uh, to seeing them next Sunday morning uh, as they perform for us. <clears throat> uh, I'll tell you, this Sunday feels very, very strange to me. My wife and my family uh, are in Zachary. My, uh, my nephew, Jack, is getting baptized this morning. Uh, and so for that, we praise the Lord. But it, it's, it's weird. I feel like a bachelor. You know, I'm, I'm here at church and my family's not here. It's just, it's just it feels different. Uh, so, uh, but enough of that. Genesis 29, if you have your Bibles, uh, ask you to open up to the book of Genesis chapter 29 uh, as we look at this theme of joy. As we read this passage, uh, I'm going to read the passage and you're going to uh, look at this passage and you're going to immediately say, what in the world does this have to do with joy? But stick with me, I promise uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come full circle and you will see the joy of the Lord uh, in this passage. Genesis chapter 29, we're going to look at verses 30 through 35. So Jacob went into Rachel also. And indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she named him Reuben. And she said, Because of this, the Lord has seen my affliction. Surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son. It said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son. And said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he was named a Levi. She conceived again and bore a son. It said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. And then she stopped bearing. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at the plight, the anguish of Leah, that may you speak to our hearts and may we see the joy of the Lord in this passage. Lord, we, Lord, may we find joy in our lives in the mundane. May we find joy through the turmoil and difficulty, through the lot that we, that we have been called to bear. May we find our joy not in our external circumstances, but in a communion with the Holy God. Lord, we thank you for Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Isn't it strange that as humans, we have a sense that we think we know what we want? We think we know what will satisfy us. We think we know what will make us happy. Uh, as a dad, uh, you know, this time of year, uh, we must ask this question about 300 times. What do you want for Christmas? Because every aunt, every grandmother, every, every niece, every cousin, somebody saying, what do I get your kids for Christmas? What do I get your kids for Christmas? And the, the response is, you get them nothing. They have everything. We are having to clean out our closets and throw stuff away just to make room for all the other stuff that they're going to get so we can shove it in the closet and them not play with it. 
and, and, and our kids need nothing, but we do this every year. It, it, it's an exercise in futility. We say, what do you want for Christmas? And so they start rattling off commercial after commercial after commercial, what they've seen that they want, what they think that they want. And so, so they tell us what, what they think will make them happy. And as, as adults, we say, oh, well, you know, these are just kids, but we do the same thing. We think we know what will make us happy. We think that, that if, if I am successful, that'll make me happy. If I, can, if I can get that promotion or if I can, can just, just get a little bit more money or if I can be financially secure and not be living from paycheck to paycheck, then I will be happy. Or maybe it's stuff. Maybe you want more stuff. Maybe you want that new car or that new home. Or maybe you want that, that, that new gadget or, or that, that, new, uh, that new technological, that, the, the new phone or, or whatever it may be. Maybe you are somebody who likes stuff. Maybe it's not stuff. Maybe it's not the new motorcycle, Brother Greg. Maybe, it's, maybe, maybe for you, maybe it's that relationship. Maybe you're single or, or divorced and, and, and you think, you know, if I can just find someone to spend my life with, if I can just find that girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife, or maybe, maybe you're longing for children. And maybe, you know, God hasn't given you children and, 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 and you are, you know, if I can just have this, then that will make me happy. What's interesting is Scripture gives us a commentary on this mindset and it's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> if you go to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's right after the poetry book, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. We get to the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is particularly interesting. Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes. The scripture tells us that Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. And as Solomon is the wisest man to ever live, I don't understand how these two things go hand in hand, but Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Not sure how those two things go hand in hand. But nevertheless, we're told that Solomon Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. He writes the book of Proverbs. He says, get wisdom though it costs you all you have. Get wisdom. Then he gets to the book of Ecclesiastes and he says, I have wisdom and it's worthless. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to read to you out of chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to hear what Solomon is saying here in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. Solomon says to himself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and behold, this too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? So Solomon says in verse 3, I want us to listen to this because this is, and I want us to wrap our brains around this. Solomon said, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good is there of the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. So Solomon said, I am going to use the faculties of my mind of which there are no parallel on this earth. Solomon was the wisest man on the planet. And he said, I am going to take that wisdom and I am going to employ it in this fashion. 
I am going to explore with my mind how to extract from this world the greatest amount of pleasure that is humanly possible. Solomon said, if I can only blank, then I'll be happy. If I can explore pleasure to the nth degree, then maybe I'll find joy, happiness, satisfaction. So he says in verse 3, and then he chronicles what he does in that effort to find joy, satisfaction, happiness. And I'm going to read through these passages quickly, but I want you to listen to what he is saying and and, and make those applications there. Verse 4, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. He was successful. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted them with all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself for which to irrigate the forest and growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and I had home and I had homeborn slaves that I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. So he's telling you I had more money than anybody else. I had more success than anyone else. I had more money than anyone else. Verse 8. I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of the kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men and many concubines. He said, I had all of the entertainment and all of the pleasures pleasures that this world could afford. Verse 9. And I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. And during all this, my wisdom stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward. I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all of it was vanity. Striving after the wind. When I was a kid, I was about... 11, 12, 13 years old, middle school. And I wanted a pair of Jerbo jeans more than anything in the world. And for those of you who are under 30, 35, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But for those of you who are older, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jerbo jeans were a pair of designer jeans and they had a little white tag right across the fly. And, and for whatever reason, if you, if you had a pair of Jerbo jeans, you were it. You were cool. And, and I, I don't know why, but, but it, was, it was the thing. You had to have a pair of Jerbo jeans. They had to be tight rolled with your Eastlands and your, 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 your polo shirt. And, and if you wore that, you, you were it. And, and I wanted a pair of Jerbo jeans so bad, but they cost like $50, $60. And, and this was back when $50, $60 was a lot of money. And, and for a pair of jeans, 50 bucks, my mom says, I can get a pair of Levi's for 20 bucks. There's no way in the world I'm buying you a pair of Jerbo jeans for 50 bucks when I can get a pair of Levi's for 20 bucks. And so, needless to say, I did not get a pair of Jerbo jeans. And I was embittered because I thought my mom just doesn't want me to be cool. My mom just does not want me to fit in. She does not want me to, to, to be in the popular crowd. And if I could only get these Jabot jeans, then I would, be, I would fit in. I would be popular. I would have friends. And, and I would finally, I'd finally be happy. 
I have a daughter who is exactly like me. And it terrifies me because she's exactly like me. And our children have, uh, they have iPods. They don't have iPhones, but they have iPods that grandma gave them. Mom and dad, there was no way in the world mom and dad were buying iPods or iPhones. But, you know, whenever Gaby says, I'm getting your kids this, you say, yes, ma'am. Uh, and and so, so she got our kids iPods. Well, they, they, they use them, you know, they play games on them, they do whatever. Well, now that they're getting a little older, she wants social media. She wants Instagram, she wants Snapchat, she wants whatever else these social media... I'm, I'm, I'm. See, this, this, is, this is one of the things that for those of you who are over 30, after Facebook, you're like, I, I, I don't know, that, that, that's it. And, and for those of you who are under 30, uh, they, aren't, they aren't on Facebook because all the old people are on Facebook. And so, but, but there's all these social media apps and, and every day she comes home and she says, can I have this social media app? I promise it's safe and I won't do anything I would, I'm not supposed to be doing. And, and we're constantly telling her, no, no, you, you can't have Instagram. You can't have Snapchat. You can't have whatever the next social media is because we love you and we want better for you. We want to protect you. But she thinks she knows what she wants. And she thinks, if I could only have Instagram, if I could only have Snapchat, if I could only have this, then I will be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. And for many of us, we have the same mentality. Now, we may not admit it, but in the deepest, darkest recesses of our soul, there's something that we covet. There's something that we want. And we have lied to ourselves and we've bought into the lie of the enemy that tells us if only you would have this, then you would be happy. This is where Leah is. And I want us to understand the plight and the turmoil of Leah's life. Go to, the, go to Genesis chapter 29 and I want to give you just a little bit of background on the story here. <clears throat> For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, Jacob... The deceiver leaves his father's house and he goes to work for his uncle Laban. And he's working for his uncle Laban and he falls madly in love with Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. And as he's falling in love with his younger daughter, Rachel, he goes to his uncle Laban and he says, Uncle Laban, what do I have to do for the, for the hand of your daughter because she is gorgeous, I am, I am smitten with her. I want to make her my wife. And he says, you will, if you will work for me for seven years, then I will give my younger daughter, I will give my daughter to you. And he says, seven years, you've got it. And so he works for his uncle Laban for seven years. And on the wedding day, on the wedding day, young Jacob gets a little inebriated. As was the custom, there was a celebration, and as they were celebrating, Jacob gets drunk, and as they are saying their vows, he sees this young woman in a veil standing before him, assumes it's Rachel, he says, I do, they go back to the bedroom, they consummate the marriage, and he wakes up the next morning, and he looks over in his bed, and it's not Rachel lying in his bed, but it's Leah. His father had an older daughter, Leah, who wasn't near as beautiful who wasn't near as marriable 
as young Rachel. And so he saw this, his father saw, uh, his uncle Laban, her father saw this as an opportunity to unload this liability in his mind, this liability of Leah on Jacob. And so he marries her off. He deceives the deceiver and he, he gives his daughter Leah, the daughter of shame, the liability to Jacob. He marries her. Jacob is fuming. He's furious. He goes to his uncle Laban. He says, you told me that I was going to marry Rachel and you gave me Leah. He says, well, that'll cost you another seven years. So Jacob works for another seven years and marries Rachel. So now we have Leah, who has lived her entire life in the shadow of her younger sister, who was more beautiful, had all of the attention, She was probably told her entire life, and this is Preston's uh, liberties that he's taking, but he's probably, she was probably told her entire life, why can't you be more like your sister? She lived in the shadow of Rachel, and as her father unloads her as a liability, she understands exactly what's happening. She interprets and she understands that that I am not marriable. I am a liability to my father. He is unloading me. He is, he is giving me to a man that doesn't love me, that doesn't want me. But maybe, just maybe I'll find happiness. Maybe I'll find satisfaction. Maybe I can convince Jacob to love me. She's a woman of shame, lives in the shadow of her sister, She wakes up on the day after her wedding only to find a husband who says, I don't want you. I've never wanted you. He goes back to negotiate for the one he truly wants. Imagine the emotional turmoil and the damage that's done to Leah. And then... After Jacob marries Rachel, consummates the relationship, Rachel's unable to have children. But the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, that the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and so he opened her womb. And she's able to conceive. And I want you to hear what she says. Look at what she says in verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. Reuben Reuben means behold a son. Look, a son. In the ancient world, to give a man a son was the ultimate gift that you could give as a wife. And she had given him a son. And listen to what she says in verse 32. She says, because the Lord has seen my afflictions. She said, the Lord has seen my plight. He's seen that I have lived my entire life in the shadow of my sister. He has seen that I have been unloved. He has seen that I have been, sh- I have been a woman of shame my entire life. And now the Lord has opened my womb. And I can give my husband a son. Now, perhaps, my husband will love me. Hear what she's saying. If only my husband will love me, then I will find satisfaction. Then I will find joy. Then I will be happy. But what does the scripture tell us? Jacob still loved Rachel. And in fact, we read later on in the story that the son that Rachel gave 
to Jacob, Joseph was his favorite. Why? Because it was the son born to him by the woman he truly loved, Rachel. Even after Leah had given him a son, behold, a son, she was still unloved. She conceived again. A second son, Simeon. The Lord hears literally what his name means. She is saying, the Lord has heard my cry. Giving me a son. She names him Simeon because the Lord hears me. Yet, she was still unloved. Then she has a third son. And look at what it says in verse 33. I'm sorry, verse 34. She conceived and again bore a son and said, now, this time. Do you hear the language? Now, this time. It didn't happen after the first one. It didn't happen after the second one. But this time, this time, my husband will become attached to me. And so I'll name my son Levi, which literally means joined, attached. I will name him Levi because maybe this time my husband will be attached to me. Leah resembles us. We lust after the things of this world. We think maybe, maybe this time. I know the first time after I sought after success and pleasure and and money and, and whatever it may be, I have spent all of my energy and my efforts grasping for this thing that's going to provide for me satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. And I have found myself, as Solomon said, striving after the wind. Hear Leah's commentary. This time, this time, perhaps the Lord will will provide for me a son and perhaps my husband will love me. Perhaps he'll be attached to me. Perhaps he will hear me. Perhaps I will be the one who's chosen and loved and cared for. If only, if only I had blank. The reality is, is that God gave Leah a son, gave her Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Still left her wanting. Because the satisfaction that this world promises always leaves us empty. Let me remind us of what Solomon said. We just read it. He said, I had everything this world had to offer. I had money. I had power. I had fame. I had fortune. I had entertainment. I had pleasure. I had women. I had everything. And it left me empty. Vanity. Why do we think we're going to be different? You say, yeah, but preacher, I'm not Solomon. I don't have everything. But if I just had this, if I just had whatever it may be, if I just had a a loving, fulfilling relationship, you know what that's called? It's called idolatry. 
When we take the things of this world and we elevate it to the, to the ultimate thing, when we take a good thing and we make it God, whenever we take a good thing and we make it the ultimate thing, that's idolatry. Whenever we say, well, if, if, if I just had this or if I just had that, what we're saying is that this thing is the ultimate thing. This thing is going to provide for me the greatest fulfillment, the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction. And the reality is, and what we know from Scripture, is that the, in the end, it leaves us wanting. Yeah, those Jabot jeans may have, may have been cool for a moment. That social media is going to be great. For about 30 minutes. What this world provides for us always leaves us empty, church. During Advent, during this time of Advent, I want us to see how the themes play together. We see the hope of the coming Messiah. That there is a hope that God has not forgotten His people and He sends them a Messiah. Why? Because he is motivated by, by love for his people. And the joy experienced is experienced with the coming of the Messiah. But let us not miss the source of joy. I want us to see this, church. The Messiah and the coming of the Messiah does not, the, the end is not eternal life. The joy that we are given is not eternal life. The joy that we are given is not freedom from sin. The joy that we are giving is not this lasting peace and happiness and fulfillment. The joy comes from the Messiah himself. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Paul is writing this book, and he writes this book from the cell of a prison. The theme of the whole book of Philippians is joy. As Paul is in a prison cell, he writes this. More than I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now let me put this into perspective for you. Paul was a very wealthy man. Paul was a very educated man. Paul was raised by by wealthy Jewish parents. He was given the best education. He had means. He was raised under the, the, the rabbi Gamaliel. He is an educated, wealthy man. And whenever he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus on a road to Damascus, he was forever changed. And when he was forever changed, he forsook all that he had. All of his money, all of his influence, all of his education, all that his parents had given him. He said this, he said, I count all, look at what it says in verse 3. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things, I have lost everything. And I count everything that I've lost as rubbish. Compared to the surpassing value of what? Of eternal life? No. Of lasting peace and happiness and fulfillment? No. Of freedom from the burden of sin? No. What does Paul say he counts all to be lost in view of? Knowing Jesus. Knowing Christ. In the Old Testament, God 
Let me back up. In all of Scripture, God is holy. That is one of His prevailing attributes. The word holy literally means set apart, other. And so, as we look at the Old Testament narrative of God's redemptive story, we see that all throughout the Old Testament that God is set apart. He is calling His people to be set apart like Him. Be ye holy for your Father in heaven is holy. He has called them to commune with Him and they must commune with Him through these through this sacrificial system and through sanctification and, and becoming clean and consecrating themselves and being set apart. And he builds a temple and, and he goes into, and, and God builds him, uh, Solomon builds God a temple and he creates this holy place, this set apart place. And in the set apart place, there is a holy of holies. There is that which is set apart from that which is set apart. And so God distinguished himself as, as being other and set apart. And the only way to commune with God is to be set apart. And there's this veil that separates all all of the Levites, even the good holy people from God because he is that other, he is that set apart. And all of Israel must bring sacrifices to God and must consecrate themselves in order to commune with this God who is set apart. But there's a hope, a hope of the new covenant that won't be like the old covenant where God is other and set apart. And here we are, wretched, sinful people. But there's a hope motivated by God's love for His people. And what will that be? That God will send us a Messiah. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. And whenever Christ came and was born in a manger and was, and was born in a stable in a cave and laid in a manger, the Scripture tells us that the angel spoke to Mary and said, You shall call Him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Not God set apart from us, but God communing and inhabiting and living with us. And when Christ suffered and died, and God placed upon Him the iniquity of us all, and the wrath of God was poured out upon Christ. And He said, it's finished. It's paid in full. The Scripture tells us that that veil of the temple that separated God from man that separated the holy of holies from the holy place that separated that made God set apart from the set apart that made him distinctly other that God said I no longer want to be separate from my people and the scripture tells us that that veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom no man tore that veil God himself ripped that veil Two, and said this, I now desire to commune, to relate, to interact with my people. And through the Messiah, through Christ, church, we can find joy. Go back to Genesis chapter 29. Leah has three children. She says, if only I would have a son, then maybe my husband would love me. She's born Reuben. Still empty. Still unloved. Still a woman of shame. She conceives and gives birth to a son, Simeon. She says, maybe now, maybe this time, my husband will love me. 
yet she's still in love. She has a third son, Levi, names him attached. She said, this time maybe my son, my husband will be attached to me, and yet still finds herself unloved. And then look at the last passage in verse 34. I'm sorry, verse 35. She conceived again and bore son. But this time, it was different. This time, she said, not maybe my husband will love me. Maybe I will be attached to my husband. Maybe God has seen my afflictions. This time, she finds her satisfaction and her joy in the Lord. Look at what she says. This time, I will praise the Lord. She says, I know that no earthly relationship, that nothing that this world has to offer will give me joy, fulfillment, satisfaction. I will praise the Lord because I have found my joy and my satisfaction in Him and in Him alone. And that's the difference, church, between what this world has to offer and what Christ has to offer. Let me ask you a question. Did anything in Leah's life change? She still was married to a liar who didn't love her. She was still in the shadow of her sister who was more beautiful. Her children would still suffer that their father didn't love them as much as they loved Rachel's kids. Her circumstances didn't change. Her lot in life was not better because she had come to this realization But what did change was she was no longer living with the lie that if only I can blank. If only this would happen, then my husband would love me. If only my husband would love me, then I'll be satisfied. She came to the realization that I am chosen by God, that I am loved by Him, and I am satisfied in Him, and in Him I will take my joy. And in God and in my relationship with my Heavenly Father, I can find joy unspeakable. I can. She came to the same realization that Paul said, that I count all things lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing my God. And church... I can promise you a few things. In this world, we will have trials. If it were not so, I would not have told you so. That's what Jesus said. But take joy. I have overcome this world. In this world, you are going to have trials, hardships, difficulties. You are going to be left by the world. You're going to be left empty, wanting. And if that's where you place your hope, you will find yourself just like Leah, unsatisfied, striving after the wind like Solomon was. But God, in His great love for us, has given us joy and it's not in this world it's in a relationship communion with him only through christ this morning if you're tired of striving after the wind and you want that joy that comes from knowing god through christ
May today you find it. Maybe this morning you simply needed to be reminded that our joy comes not from what this world has to offer, but from Christ. As we go into this time of invitation, may we be thankful for the joy that we have in Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you have satisfied our soul, not with what we think we want, not with what we think will make us happy, not with that which is temporal and fleeting, but you have satisfied our soul by giving us yourself, by giving us a God who loves us and chose us and fulfills us because of who he is. I thank you that you are not a God that is that is other, but you are a God who is with us who communes with us through the shed blood of Jesus. If God is speaking to your heart this morning and He's calling you to cease striving after the wind and find your fulfillment in Christ and in Him alone, I want to invite you to come during this time of invitation. Maybe you were reminded this morning that your joy comes not from the things that this world has to offer, but from Christ. Maybe this morning God's speaking to your heart that He calls you to be a part of what we're doing right here at Redeemer. Whatever it is the Lord is speaking to your heart during this time of invitation, may you find yourself obedient. God, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and worship with us?